So we are reading from Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and that you would humble us. That you would show us in our hearts where we need to forgive and where we need to seek you for forgiveness. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, imagine a scale with me from one to ten. One is something is completely forgivable. You wouldn't even think twice about forgiving someone for it. Ten is something is completely unforgivable. You could never ever see yourself showing someone forgiveness for that thing. And then in the middle, kind of, you know, 50-50, you might, you might not, maybe it takes a bit of time. Okay, let's think of some scenarios to place on your scale. I'm going to give you some scenarios. I want you to decide in your head where on that scale you're going to place them. Uh, So first one, someone spills a cup of tea on you at a prayer meeting. Where would you place that on the scale? Second one. (laughs) Second one, someone deliberately ignores you when you ask them a question after church on a Sunday. Maybe a bit more serious. Keep it it in your head because we might start judging each other. Okay, okay, third scenario. Someone shares a confidential prayer request that you have shared with them on the church WhatsApp group. And maybe even more serious, a member of the church has an affair with your spouse. Or someone verbally or physically abuses you. Potentially, they're all things that could happen in a church, right? We're all sinful human beings, and sadly we do things that are wrong. But according to Jesus... They should all be at one on that scale. They should all be completely forgivable. Our response to fellow believers sinning against us 
should always be complete forgiveness. And we're going to see that there's a really, really good reason why. Let's remind ourselves of the context um, that Joel started with us last week. So the disciples are with Jesus. They're asking questions, a bit like a Bible study maybe, but with someone a bit better than Kenny or Rob. Um, And they're sitting around asking Jesus questions, and they're asking him about the kingdom of God. And last week, Joel showed us that the first way that Jesus instructs us to believe as followers, to behave as followers, is like humble children. We need to put ourselves lower than others. We need to think of ourselves less and think more of others. And at this point, we find ourselves in the passage this afternoon. Peter has been thinking. Something he's not done so much of before. However, he's not quite getting it right. So he comes up to Jesus, he breaks out the group, and he asks this question in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, we know that Peter is a proud people pleaser. We saw this when we looked at the tax in the city in chapter 17. And he's doing it again here. Jewish teaching from the prophet Amos in the Old Testament suggests that forgiveness only needs to happen three times. It's the number of times that God would forgive the nations that sinned against him. And so it suggests three times. And Peter's saying four more times than this. He's saying, look at me, Jesus. I'm going to forgive people seven times. I mean, has Peter even been listening to what Jesus has been saying? It's the opposite of what he's been teaching, right? Jesus has been teaching them to be humble. However, it provides a great cue for more teaching. But also, I think it's funny that Peter is the one being wronged in the scenario. It made me think that perhaps he's had a bit of a quarrel with the other disciples. Maybe Andrew's thrown a fish at him. Can you see that the question could have an undertone of, do I really have to forgive him seven times? It's been seven times already. Can't I just throw him into the sea? Again, it's the opposite of what Jesus has been teaching them about being a disciple. So I want us to start by looking at our own hearts. How often do we think, in our pride, that we are modelling the excellence of forgiveness in our church family? Maybe we've managed to forgive someone seven weeks in a row for something they've done, and we think we're doing a great job. Or it might be, um, how often do we think that? We need to, do we need to forgive them? Not again. I've forgiven them once before. Do I have to do it again? Maybe that would be something, uh, a response to something we placed higher up on that scale at the beginning. It might be the second or third or seventh time that someone has done something wrong against us. And we're thinking, how many times do I need to forgive them? Surely I've done it enough. And Jesus gives us the answer, and it should have humbled Peter, and it should humble us. In verse 22, you can almost hear the rebuke. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It's ten times greater, but the numbers aren't really what's important. What Jesus is saying is that we should give each other, forgive each other indefinitely, without counting, without taking notes of the number of times week by week that we've forgiven someone.
Jesus then tells us this story to illustrate his answer. And it's to continue to paint a picture of the kingdom of heaven. To show us, as God's people, living under God's reign, how we should live. And I hope and I pray that it's a picture that will challenge us today. That will humble us that we should show unending forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God has forgiven us so much more. We forgive because we have been forgiven. So, we're going to break the parable into three parts. We're going to look at God's offer of forgiveness. We're going to look at the rejection of God's forgiveness. And we're going to look at God's response to rejection. And you've got those three sections on your sheet. So, first of all, let's look at God's offer of forgiveness. Let's read from verse 23 to 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared with a king to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this master has lent money to his servants And the time has come when he expects to get it back. These servants, they owe him a debt. And there's one servant that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, I've worked that out to be equivalent of about £6 billion today. And as he cannot pay, he is sentenced to be sold, but he pleads for his life. And in response, the master not only releases him, but forgives him the debt, his £6 billion debt. It doesn't really get more generous than that in life. And I think this shows two things for us. First of all, it shows us that we deserve punishment for our debt. Okay, so this servant, he owed a huge, huge debt. There is no way, there is no way that he could have repaid this debt. There is no way that one of us, unless one of you is a secret billionaire, could ever pay back such a sum. Therefore, there needed to be justice. It's the same now, right? If you can't pay something... The debt collector comes knocking on your door. Can't pay, we'll take it away. That's the Channel 5 programme. Does anyone watch it? (laughs) More people than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The master. So the master, he needs to bring judgment on the servant. And so for that servant, his punishment was to be sold with his family, to pay off a tiny amount of the debt that he owed. And being sold with his family, that would hardly have made a dent in the debt. There is no way the servant could have sold it off. And therefore, this debt would have been hanging over him for the rest of his life, like a burden. And so what does that mean for us? Well, in this parable, we can see the master as representing God and the servant as representing mankind. Now, we don't owe God money, but we do owe him a huge debt of sin. You might remember our Same Again series that we did during lockdown. And during the second session, we read in Romans, None is righteous, Romans chapter 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are rude and we lie. We covet things that other people have and we put other gods before him. We murder in our hearts, 
We gossip and we are sexually immoral. All of these things and others are against God's law. There is no way that we could ever make right or make payment for our sin against God. And that's our debt of sin. And therefore there needs to be justice. And as Rob spoke about in Same Again Session 3, the punishment for sin is death and judgment. As Romans puts it, the wages of sin is death. That servant would have been sold for his money, his debt of money, and we can be sold over to death for our debt of sin. But, praise God, the second thing that this part of the story shows us is that God forgives our debt. When the servant pleads with his master in verse 29, he says, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now that's a lie. It's a complete lie. He's making a promise he could not possibly keep. There is no way he could pay the debt off. So his words are empty. But also he never asked the master for forgiveness. He wants to sort out himself. And yet the master responds in great mercy to him. Verse 27, it says, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That servant deserved to be sold on the spot, immediately taken to the market with his family to make amends for the debt he owed. But that master shows incredible love and mercy towards the servant, and he walks away. He walks away free from debt, unburdened, free to serve his master without this debt hanging over him. And as we see God as the master, doesn't this show us how good God is? He has offered us forgiveness for our massive debt of sin. How? Through Jesus. And interestingly, it struck me reading this, that Jesus is the one telling this story, knowing that in a few weeks' time, he is going to be the one that goes to the cross to make this possible. God shows incredible love and mercy towards us in sacrificing his one and only son to take away our debt of sin, to take our punishment instead of us. And then we can walk away free from debt, unburdened, able to serve our master in heaven with glad and rejoicing hearts. And for those of us who are saved here today, part of the kingdom of heaven, that's our reality. Praise God, that's our reality. Our hearts have been changed by Jesus' death. Our debt has been forgiven and we are united in God's great salvation. So, Jesus has shown us the great offer of God's forgiveness. But he now goes on to show us the brokenness of a heart that has rejected this forgiveness. So let's read the next part of the story, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. This part of the story is really sad. Immediately, as soon as this has happened before, as soon as he comes out of his master's presence, having been shown such love and mercy, he goes and finds a servant who owes him a hundred denarii and he starts to choke him. To put it in context, to the six billion pounds he used to owe, a hundred denarii is about seven thousand pounds. But it's not the numbers that are important, it's the difference in the amount. 
As someone put it, it's like the difference between an incalculable fortune and a fiver. There is no way the servant could have forgotten what had just happened. And in fact, in the light of what had just happened to him, he could have so easily overlooked this small debt that was owed to him. But he doesn't. He actively goes out from the presence of the master, finds his fellow servant and starts physically assaulting him. And when the servant pleads with him, he throws him in prison. Nothing could look more different to the way he had just been treated by his master. Why does he do it? It's a power play. He has power over his servant, over his fellow servant, and he uses it abusively to get what he wants. Unlike the master, who used his power to forgive him. There's pride involved too. I don't think this, this servant can stand being owed money, and he needs to be seen to take action about it. To leave it might make him look like a wimp. It's completely different to the master, who humbled himself in cancelling the debt against this servant. Perhaps the servant also wanted to take justice into his own hands, but that's not his role, as he's just experienced. It's the master's job to deal with the justice side of things. But the root of all of these problems is his heart. This servant has just experienced the greatest outpouring of love and mercy he has ever seen, and it hasn't changed him. He obviously didn't think that his debt to the, ma- to the master was a big deal. Otherwise, he would know how great a mercy had been shown to him, and he would have been willing to show mercy as it had been shown to him. Well, what about us? I think we can often act in the same way, right? When others have wronged us, we want it sorted out now. We want that debt of sin against us settled. We want justice, we want it now, and our pride cannot let us get away with being wronged. We can't stand it when someone has done something to us that we don't like. It stays in the back of our mind and we chat about it with each other and we give each other looks and we avoid each other and it can break our relationships. Being unforgiven hurts. Unforgiving hurts. I think for me, pride is often the biggest thing that stops me forgiving other people. I just feel like I couldn't possibly not take action myself. I, can't, I couldn't leave it up to God. I need to bring my own justice to the situation. And that's sinful. We also let our mood and tiredness get in the way. If Hannah's been up at night, um, not sleeping well, and I've got post-holiday blues, I've just come back from the Cotswolds, and I come to church and George makes an offensive joke about my Mohican, and I'm really annoyed and I have to do what? I have to forgive him? No way, I'm going to go home and I'm going to moan to Bethan and I'm going to ring Rob and I'm going to moan to Rob. I don't want to forgive him. And that's a sinful response in my heart. And I think even if we get an apology sometimes, we can still show anger. We, we give a, a kind of surface level response. Yeah, that's all right, don't worry, I forgive you. But deep down we're still harbouring a grudge. How dare they even think of saying sorry? And the root of these responses is in our heart. We've experienced the greatest outpouring of love the world has ever known. And yet our hearts can still be sinful and we still find it difficult to forgive. And like the servant, we sometimes have a warped perspective. We don't see or we don't remember how great a debt we have been delivered from. And being unforgiven is a rejection 
Being unforgiving is a rejection of God's great forgiveness. Joel said last week that becoming a Christian should change how we relate to each other. As Christians, we need to be humble and accept a low status. Therefore, our focus shouldn't be on ourselves, how we feel. It should be on God and his forgiveness for us through Jesus. And when we get that right, we get forgiveness for others right. I don't know if you remember back to your primary school days, um, you might have done science experiments um, for a light subject using torches. Uh, I've done this with my kids before. Um, You shine a torch and you put different colours of um, light paper in front of it, and it changes the colour of the light. And you put a red piece of paper in front of it, and you go, ooh. And you put a purple piece of paper in front of it, and you go, ah. And then you get annoyed because your teacher makes you write it up in full sentences and screws up your work if you get it wrong. (laughs) I think God's forgiveness should be a bit like a filter in our lives. A filter that we look at life through. So when we find ourselves in a situation of conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, we look at it through the filter of God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness should therefore come from the heart, as it says in verse 35, from a heart changed by God's love for us through Jesus. What I'm not suggesting is that the wrongs done against us are okay or that they should keep happening. Please don't hear that in what I'm saying. Forgiveness can be extremely, extremely difficult, especially if we've been hurt badly. But we strive to forgive others with God's help and in his strength because he has done it for us in so much of a greater way. So lastly, let's look at the third part of this story. God's response to rejection, the master's response to rejection. In verse 31 to the end. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So how does the master respond? Well, he responds in anger, in righteous anger. Are you surprised? He's just heard that the servant whose debt he cancelled is going around choking people who owe a debt to him. He's angry because this servant is not living according to the way he expects. In verse 33 it said, Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The master has shown by example what forgiveness looks like in the forgiveness he showed to the servant, yet the servant has not done the same thing. The servant doesn't seem to understand that life, living under the roof of the master, means that you freely show forgiveness as it has been shown to you. And in fact, as we've already seen, the master's outpouring of mercy to him doesn't mean anything. And his heart's not been changed. So, he is punished. In verse 34, he's given over to the hands of the jailers. Now, that doesn't just mean he's put in prison. And in fact, in Greek, that word means torturers. So he's given over into the hands of the torturers until he should pay his debt. How long will that be? Well, it says until until it will be paid off. And for this servant, with the size of his debt, that means forever. 
This servant will receive an eternity of pain and sorrow because of the rejection of his master's love and mercy and a hardened heart unwilling to forgive. This servant is not fit to be part of the master's household. Therefore, we need to understand that life in God's kingdom as his people means that we freely show forgiveness to each other as it has been shown to us. God has shown us what it means to forgive. He sacrificed his one and only son to take away the debt of sin that we owe, that we could never pay, and he placed it onto Jesus. And when we see the enormity of the debt that we have been forgiven from, it should change our hearts. We should not trivialise what God has done for us. We should be so overwhelmed by the fact that all our sin has been taken away that we can't help but act with forgiveness. And when we don't, it hurts God. It pains him and he is angry. And if you refuse to forgive someone, if you refuse to forgive someone, however easy or difficult it might be, then it shows that your heart has not been changed by the great mercy that God has shown you. And if your heart has not been changed by that mercy, you will be punished until you can pay your debt, which means forever. You will be handed over to an eternity of pain and sorrow because of your rejection of God's love and mercy. And if you're not a Christian, that's the reality for you. You still owe a debt to God, and it's not one that you can pay off yourself. It's not an easy thing to hear, but... God's amazing offer of forgiveness is there for you. All you need to do is humbly plead with him to forgive you. And you might feel hurt and wronged, maybe because of a history of someone hurting and wronging you. And that can lead to a lack of desire to forgive. But the Bible offers the only solution, the only society where a wronged individual and the person committing the wrong can be truly reconciled. And this is because the forgiveness that comes from God is far greater than any forgiveness we could ever offer. So respond to the master's forgiveness in the right way. Ask him to come into your life and change your heart and bring healing to the broken areas of your life where forgiveness needs to be shown. If you're part of church but not a Christian, I hope that you've seen the power of God's forgiveness, not just in the Bible, not just in what we've read today, but in the lives of our church family. Maybe you can also see the unforgiving nature of your own heart. Don't act like the servant in the story. Don't turn away from such a great act of love and mercy. Plead with God for forgiveness and a changed heart. Why not chat to someone about that after the service? And for those of us who are Christian, we are to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ because we are living in the light of God's forgiveness and he has changed our hearts. That's what being part of the kingdom of God is all about. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to hear. He wanted them to behave like this, a humble acceptance of God's mercy, leading to an outpouring of mercy to their fellow believers, their fellow disciples. But we struggle, right? So often we find it hard to forgive others, and so often we can be reluctant to do so. I think one thing that will help is praying. Remember the servant, he didn't seek the master's help in sorting out his own situation of debt. And so often we don't seek God. So if you're struggling to forgive someone, pray about it using that filter of God's forgiveness. 
Say, thank you, God, for your great forgiveness. And please help me to forgive so-and-so. Continue to change my heart and make it more like yours. And it would also help to share and pray with a close Christian friend. How incredible would it be if we were a church family that forgave one another for everything because we saw everything through the filter of God's forgiveness for us and we truly valued his love for us. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you for your love and forgiveness for us. I thank you, Lord, that you gave your son so that we can be forgiven. And I pray, Lord, that that would daily be changing our hearts and changing the way we behave. That we would want to show mercy to one another because of the great mercy that we have been shown to us. Lord, help us to search our hearts to find maybe those situations that we need your help with to forgive people. Please help us to be active in sorting those out, actively living as part of your kingdom. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.